Yeah, it's Canuck Central. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Finding your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, really happy to be joined in studio now by uh, Canadian comedy legend, Corner Gas, Canucks fan, Brent Butt. What's happening, Brent? Legend. I like that. Yeah. yeah. This is where we butter you up, so you you, you give us the goods <laughs> over the next 20 minutes. And then you tear me apart. <laughs> yeah. you, you rip me down. I, I know how it works. Yeah, you know how it is. We we tease you in yeah. with a little bit of a carrot. beating starts. <laughs> That's usually what we do for, like, Patrick Alveen or Jim yes. Rutherford when they're on the show, Joe, you know? Well, it's a good thing there's two of you. I'll yeah. tell you that. <laughs> Although sad, I was talking about, I didn't realize how jacked you were. <laughs> Right? Every time I see Sat, we're at some formal event, you know, where yeah. we're all suit and tied up, and anything could be going on underneath the suits. But now you're in a gray tee, and you look like uh, Captain America. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but yeah, you know. no, nobody's challenging Sat here to a to an arm wrestle or anything. Like that. <laughs> That's my old wheelhouse. You know, I'm a former. Uh, semi-competitive arm wrestling. Oh, Pretty really? low-level competitive arm wrestling. I will say this, though. But, there's a real technique to arm wrestling, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely beat guys that who are stronger than me, and right. I've definitely been waxed by guys, <laughs> like, literally half my mass, you know? Some of the, some of the funniest videos are, like, the the arm wrestling one, some like skinny dude walks up to a competition. This dude like looks like he's been on steroids yeah. and just like crushes them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Guy looks like Arnold and he just gets crushed by the. Little That's guy. one of those places where you really know, you really learn that there are levels. In yeah. It. Because I've arm wrestled two different Canadian champs, and honestly, I don't think there would have been any difference had they been arm wrestling a four-year-old. <laughs> to me, I don't. If they were blindfolded. They would be like, well, this four-year-old has pretty big hands. But from a strength, it was like, you know, arm wrestling a statue or something, these guys. And that's when I was like, okay, I've gone as far as I'm going in this. I've got to, okay, how did you get into competitive arm wrestling? Now, there's, there's got to be a story here. Um, I just liked arm wrestling. My older brother is very good at it. And, um, you know, I sort of arm wrestled him a lot. And compared to him, other people were easy. <laughs> So I had some success with it based on my yeah upbringing. Was that the peak of your athletic prowess? I do, I like to think I haven't hit my peak yet. You know, it's still on the horizon. There, I'm three years away from sixty yet. Anything could happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Although I've you know I spent most of my adult, adult life about about twenty five thirty pounds heavier than I am right now. I was always a bit of a tubby guy. I would hit the fried food and the whiskey a lot harder than I do now. So I'm down. I'm at my high school weight now. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. wow. You look good. <laughs> Thank you. I sometimes say in my stand-up act, if you want to know the secret to get down to your high school weight, it really helps if you were a bit of a pudge in high school. It's very helpful. Makes I, all the difference. I know that from experience as well. Um, so... How many years have you been a Canucks fan? It's, uh, I mean, we know for a lot of our listeners, it's, uh, uh, and, and us, I mean, we've been on the station here for six years since we launched, and uh, we've had uh, how many playoff games? You can pretty much count them on one hand. <laughs> yeah. And they were during the pandemic, so uh, well, it, it, they're hard to remember sometimes. I moved here to Vancouver in quite a, quite a pivotal year for the Canucks. I moved here in 93, so that 93, okay. 94 run, you know. Yeah. I moved here, and I always say, I was telling you earlier, I didn't really move here. I just came here to do some stand-up, and I never <laughs> left. It was such a beautiful city. and and um, But 
you know, they were on that run and the city, the, the fervor, and it was so exciting. And I grew up in Saskatchewan. We didn't have a team, right? you know, so I didn't, I didn't have to shed any lifelong loyalty. Like I'm still a Riders fan. You know, I pull for the Lions whenever they're not playing the Riders, but aside from that, I, I bleed green. So, but I didn't have to, hockey wise, I didn't have to shed that. Um, you know, you just grew up watching a lot of Toronto, a lot of Montreal, mm-hmm. hockey night in Canada, you know how it is. And so, you know, I was always kind of a Toronto fan, mostly because of Mike Palmatier. I love a lefty. Right. Great and, mask. Uh, he was such a, you know, bizarre, flip floppy goalie. I was, and I was, a, I was a goalie. So I was fascinated by him. So I was kind of pulling for the Leafs. But then I remember, um, so I got swept up in the fervor, 93, 94. And then, um, uh, the next season, the Leafs were playing the Canucks, and the Canucks scored first, and I cheered. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> I guess here, here I am. I know where my loyalties lie." So your heart chose the Canucks. Yes, that's right. I, it's best that I don't rely on my head in any given situation. <laughs> it's notorious for making terrible decisions. If I could trust my heart or my gut, usually that's the boss. That's the that's the big one. Yeah, that's the big boss man, the gut. So uh, it was just Pavel Bure, and you you uh, you fell in love with the Russian rocket, and yeah. uh, the, the just like the most exciting player in hockey. I also saw him. I was quite surprised that same. Uh, I guess it was just after that season. Yeah, I was living in the West End at the time, and the McDonald's on Robson and I don't know Bidwell or something like that. I was walking past, and I saw Pavel in there sitting alone, mowing down <laughs> a couple big burgers, and I was like, "Yeah, I guess you know, season's over. He's burned some calories." <laughs> yes, but man, like. When you see these NHL guys uh, just in a pair of shorts or something, they, it's it's cartoonish. <laughs> yeah, they're they're quads. They're like something out of like. Are you going to go fight a minotaur? <laughs> Why are you built like this? But then you realize, oh yeah, they got to they got to do forty miles an hour right. for sixty minutes. That's kind of that's kind of the way it goes. Um, it, like yeah, even if uh, like Sidney Crosby, I mean he's like he's got tree trunks for legs. Yeah, I mean Marty St. Louis, his legs are like famous around the world. How how could you push one of these guys off the puck? Well, you right? can't. It's impossible. You can't. Yeah. They get the legs squatted down, spread apart. Good luck. <laughs> Well, that's what Leon Dreisaitl was saying the other day. He was on a podcast with Friedman and Merrick on 32 Thoughts, and he's like, well, I got a big butt, so I can just, like, I can make sure no one gets around me. <laughs> that's the way to go. And I cannot lie. Yeah. <laughs> so um, are you a glass half full or glass half empty, Canucks fan? I'm a, I'm a goofy optimist. I'm, I, I'm a big believer in being optimistic whenever possible, but I'm... I, I, I even question my own optimism sometimes because I'm. <laughs> I always go. I go into every season like, oh, this is it. Every key change that we've needed to make is here, you know. And I talk myself into it. But I do feel, even with that being my track record, I feel there's something about the stability. I feel like we're going into this season more stable than we have in a long time. And so I am, once again, ridiculously optimistic. But it does seem to be more stable, right? I mean, yeah, you could have probably wrote a novel. And I know you have your book, and we're going to talk about Huge by Brent Butt. But you could have probably wrote a novel about all the uh, drama around the team that began last season. And at least we don't have those discussions. Yeah, exactly. A lot of that stuff is cleared off the, uh, you know, for good or for bad, it's cleared off now. And so we can just start fresh, it feels like. Actually, this plays a. There's uh, hockey doesn't play a part in my book, but it gets it gets mentioned in, in my in my book because it does take place. Two the two uh, protagonists aren't from Canada. One's from Chicago, one's from Dublin, but uh, they're on a tour across Canada, 
and they make some mistakes in regard to hockey and hockey players. <laughs> oh, those things do happen every <laughs> yeah, once in a while. They do. So uh, where did the idea for the book come uh, come from? It's called Huge. Yeah, and it's re- it's about three stand-up comedians on the road, two of whom do not have a disturbing capacity for violence. So it kind of surprised some people. <laughs> two, two of the three. Yeah. <laughs> it surprised some people because it's not a comedy. It's a, it's a dark and violent psychological thriller, which is kind of what I like to read. Um, but it's about comedy right. because you write what you know. So it's three comedians on the road, and two of them start to realize the third guy on this trip, who is enormous, is uh, he seems like he's maybe not wired upright, and he starts to exhibit some signs that there's a, a bit of. He's not only is he brutally unfunny, he's the brutality doesn't <laughs> stop there, there right? Know? So it takes a dark turn. So where did you get the uh, idea from? Just living it. You know, it takes place in the mid-90s. And I, you know, I've spent a lot of years on the road. I started doing stand-up in 88. And you just travel around the country playing these little towns, a lot of places, a lot of uh, comedy against your will (laughs) kind of nights where you walk in and you say, oh, we're the comedians. And they're like, ah, is that tonight? (laughs) And you got to convince them to shut off the pool tables. And it's always a big fight. And that's how you make your bread and butter for the first 10, 12, 15 years, if you're lucky, 40, if you're, if you're not. Yeah. And so it was sort of about that. It was, it's like life on the road, but I also wanted to capture the vulnerability of, if you're with somebody that you don't maybe gel with Mm. and you think is maybe dangerous, because this has been, you know, I've been in this situation a few times where you're with some, you know, comedy draws a a certain (laughs) type of uh, neurotic. Right. And uh, that can go left quickly. And, you know, there have been times when I've been on the road in the middle of Ontario or middle of Manitoba and listening to somebody's political views on things and you're thinking, <laughs> wow, this uh, there's a lot of places to hide my body out here, isn't there? <laughs> so I kind of wanted to write a book that captured that dread. Right, okay. The comedy circuit... Um I mean, it's it's got to be pretty wild, right? Um, yeah, I mean, just a, uh, all the roads, all the time on the roads. Um, it, it's I mean, it's fascinating to me. It kinda is kind of like to being me in too. a band. I, I, I was, uh, except you don't have to split. Yeah, split the money. That's yeah. a good thing. And you don't have to carry amps. Right. Yeah. I was in a little. I was in a band for a short time in high school, and uh, just like the three or four gigs that we did, I was like. Are you telling me I got to haul this gear every time? <laughs> I thought I thought there would be roadies, but um, when you're a greasy nightclub comedian, you know you got a, a, a Safeway bag with a change of underwear in it. You're like, I'm on the road for a month, so it's a but but it's it's a tough way to make a buck. But also, it, it was never lost on me that I was, you know, I was pursuing my dream. I felt very fortunate the whole while, even when I was getting my phone cut off and I was, uh, you know, leaving my. I was I lived in Bathurst in Toronto for a while, a rooming house, and had to leave in the middle of the night, you know, because yeah. I I knew I was going to get the boot the next day. They were going to garnishy my properties. <laughs> Yeah, so you're living hand to mouth. It's really tight and tough, but at the same time, it's like there's nothing I would have rather been doing. Yeah. There's and also really nothing I have any skill at doing <laughs> either, so I had limited options. Well, that that I can definitely relate to, Brent. Uh, I always say I, I do a lot of things almost good enough to make a buck. Yeah, almost not good quite. enough. Yeah. Almost good enough. Yes, it's uh, you know it's kind of the same for at least me in sports radio, right? Like, what else would I do if I ever lost this job? Which I probably will one day, so I probably might want to figure that out. But um, you know, being the stand-up comedian, uh, you, you're so much. Um, 
Like there's a lot of dependence on the crowd, right? And some nights you're going to have a good crowd. Some nights you're going to have a bad crowd. I mean, it, it can be a little bit all over the place, can't it? It is. That's one of the things I love about it is you really don't know. As you're standing in the wings waiting to get introduced, you don't really know how it's going to go. And you don't know. Mm-hmm. You don't know what is. Like every time you get a few hundred people together, a few hundred individuals yeah. clumped together, they create a brand new Entity, a brand new animal that's never existed before, and you don't know what it's going to like, what it's going to hate. But part of your job as a comedian is to find a way to 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 find out what will make it let you tickle its belly, you know, <laughs> as opposed to ripping you to shreds. And that's that's part of you know that puzzle is the fun. Yeah, and you get up there and and you know I I, I usually know what one or two jokes I'm going to open with, but after that I start making decisions and pulling from the tickle trunk based on the vibe I'm getting from the crowd and, and how I can manipulate them this way or that, or not in some cases. So you, so essentially you go into a show with maybe, let's say, 100 jokes, but you use like 20 of them? Is that kind of how you go? I mean, or, or yeah, do you... at this stage of the game, I've been doing, I don't know. I have no idea how much material I have. <laughs> like, you know, 35 years of doing stand-up and... Uh, you know, I'm a big believer in you don't throw anything out. You just mm. shelve stuff and you start folding newer stuff in. But all that old stuff sits in your hip pocket. Right. They're kind of holster gags. And if you find yourself in a situation where you're like, oh, this joke I wrote in 1998 would fit here perfectly. <laughs> boom, you pull it out of the holster. So you, it's just like I, I, it's like a an invisible trunk full of gags that I pull on as, as needed. But that's pretty good recall, though, because I, I couldn't tell you what I said. Two days ago. I couldn't pull that thought back out again. Well, I can't remember anything that's not funny. Like, I have a tremendous uh, memory for things that are humorous. Yeah. Remember what worked. It's also funny how the brain works, like what you remember and what you forget. Because I remember I was playing a trivia game one time, and the question came up, who wrote the theme song to I Dream of Genie? And I didn't even think a millionth of a second. I just typed in Hugo Montenegro and Buddy Kay. And then it was like chilling. It was like, how... Why do I know that? <laughs> and I don't know my sister's birthday. Yeah. Why, why is my brain prioritizing? I mean, I had it pretty bad for Barbara Eden. There's no getting around yeah. that. <laughs> but, yeah, it's weird how the brain works when, yeah. when it does. The useless information. You'd probably be good at Jeopardy. I do. Not bad at Jeopardy. Actually, it's one of the things when I was on the road, you know, you'd kill time. Always in your hotel room, sit down for Jeopardy. And I would... Uh, make a little list. There's, there's always 60 questions. Yeah, and yeah. Figure out what my percentage of right and wrong was. I, I was more of a Wheel of Fortune guy. Oh, yeah? I mean, they were on back-to-back, at least when I was... There used to... Erwin uh, Barker, who was a hilarious comedian who lived here in Vancouver for many years. He's, he's gone now. He passed away. But he used to have, have a hilarious bit about... I won't go into the bit because it's quite long, but the premise <laughs> was, what if the uh, contestants from Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy got mixed up? <laughs> they went on the wrong bus. And so you had the Wheel of Fortune people on uh, I Jeopardy. I would not be very good at Jeopardy. And the, the punchline I, I always remember was Alex Trebek saying, no, uh, Greenland is not one of, is not the answer. Anybody else want to take a shot at naming one of the planets? <laughs> Such a funny joke. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's 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 kind of great. Um, so you said you moved here February ninety three. Yeah, I moved September twenty seventeen, and you know it was gorgeous. You know it's easy to like the city is when it's when it's nice out. I can't imagine it was great out in February of ninety three when you got here. 
Well, compared to anywhere else in Canada, it was fantastic. It was like the Bahamas. It was, it was, I couldn't believe how warm it was. And then I, I remember hearing people talk about it being in a cold snap. They were all, oh, it's, we're in a cold snap. And I was like, honestly? And I'll never forget this. I think this may have been the day when I decided, when I made the decision, I'm not going anywhere. Um, the news came on and the lead story had a, a you know, a graphic and it had minus one with like icicles coming off it. <laughs> I was like, really? Minus one is the lead story on the news in February in Canada? If I, I, this, I found my home. This is where I'm living. Slow news day. And I love the, uh, uh, I love the rain. I, I now associate rain with hockey, so I get in a good mood when the rain starts. I know hockey's coming, and uh, life begins to make sense again. It's, you know, that summer with the sweating, and the, what's that about? <laughs> Bugs. Who needs that? Yeah, I, I'm with you on this. I, summer can be overrated. I'm with you on that yeah um, I, I had like a nice two two and a half weeks of summer and then let's get <laughs> give the players a good two week break and then and back let's get back play. at the hockey <laughs> so you had a pretty good first year then because 94 was just after you, the year afterwards they make the cup run which is one of the highlights of yeah. being a canucks fan and then your journey here led to you getting on corner gas and, and really making it through how, how did that all come come to be I was uh, sitting at home in my apartment in the West End, and a director that I knew called me up and said, listen, I'm uh, out here in Vancouver. He's a Toronto guy. So let's go for coffee. And he said to me, I was just talking to the network back in Toronto, and I pitched them a bunch of ideas, and they don't like any of my ideas. And they said to me, hey, you know Brent Butt, right? We're keen to know if he has any ideas for a show. So do you have any? <laughs> and I said, well, I wrote a treatment for a TV show about a gas station in Saskatchewan, but I can't imagine anybody would have any, any interest in that even as I'm telling you about it, I'm I don't think it's a great idea. But he said, "Well, he, he said, tell me about it." And I talked to him a, a bit about it, and some of the scenarios I envisioned, and he thought it was funny. So he went back and he talked to the network. They were interested and they wanted to have a meeting with me, and it just kind of went from there. And we went into this, you know, we we they bought 13 episodes, and I thought, okay, well, this is a glaring mistake on their part, but fantastic. <laughs> we'll do this for the summer. Nobody will watch the show, and our separate ways what a boon what a fantastic boon we get to do this for a summer and you know this is so that was in 2002 i think when we made the deal mm -hmm. 2002 2003 when we made the deal 2002 i think and um and my life has been corner gas for you know 107 live action episodes almost 50 animated episodes a full-length feature film that played theatrically uh this is my first off year where I'm I'm not doing some corner gas related business. And how's that feel? Strange, liberating, exciting, terrifying. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of things. It's very strange. You know, it's like it's kind of like I've had this job and I'm known for this job. I've had it for a long time, you know, and we used to, you know, a million and a half people would watch every week and and I'm so known for this and then to for this to be the first year where it's not where I'm not part of that it does really feel like I mean it's liberating but I'll, you're also like oh I, I'm I'm in a boat I'm not leashed to anything I can go anywhere and but every now and then you're like oh I'm not leashed to anything <laughs> I can go anywhere I'm panicky is that is that where part of it came with with the book is uh, I can I want to branch into some new things yeah I mean it was a few things that sort of led me to sit down and write the book one is that I 
I always wanted to write a novel. When I was very young, because I always liked to write and draw, and I made a list of things I want to write in my life. And one of them was a novel, of course. And I've got to write a lot of the things that are like comic books and um, you know TV shows and stand-up comedy. I get to write a lot of things on my list. And so I, I'd had this idea percolating about comedians on the road with somebody who was kind of dangerous. And that had percolated for a long time. And when COVID came around and we couldn't go anywhere or do anything, I was like, wow, I really, I'm out of excuses. I really better sit down and try this. And so I thought, I'll, I'll sit down. I'll try to write the novel, see if I can. Maybe I can't. Maybe I'll hate the process. I didn't know anything, but I sat down and started writing it. And, and I loved it. I loved the process way more than I thought I would. Mm. After 25 years of writing scripts, which are very structured and very re regimented, suddenly I was—I felt like I could—I could overwrite, which is what I always like to do: overwrite and find the story that way, and then start editing and peel away the stuff you don't need. But finding the gems because you wrote 13 extra scenes that you didn't need, you know, and a, and a book allows me to do that in a very organic and natural way. That self-editing might be one of the hardest parts, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, you you learn to do it. Right. Just a, for pragmatic purposes, you kind of have to or you lose your job, right? Yeah. And so it it can be difficult. But, I, you know, in TV, it's like that. You, and you got to cut loose some great jokes. Like you're, you know, sometimes the funniest jokes aren't tied to the story. Right. And when you're editing the show, you're like, okay, well, we're a minute and a half long. I still got to lose time. I can't cut anything else because it's all necessary for the story. <laughs> so I have to cut this fantastic joke that I love. And you just shelve it and you hope you can fit it into another episode or something. Uh, Sat and I feel the same way when we, well, well, like actually the opposite. When we go, like we, we sit here, do 25 minutes of radio, like it's nothing. Then we go on TV. It's like, okay, you got to be three minutes or less. It's like, <laughs> it's how, right. how, do you, how do you do this in three minutes? How do you figure we have a couple comments here in the text inbox before before we, we get out get out here. This one says from Tyler, you can tell Brent Butt, thanks for that mock gas station in the middle of rural Saskatchewan. It fooled my parents a few times. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah, we had some, especially season one before it had hit the air when we were filming, we had people running in, stopping in all the time. The best was two girls pulled in in a panic. They had to pee really bad. They ran into the women's washroom and it was just cameras and lights. Can you imagine that? You know, never mind one creepy guy with a camera like a whole camera crew with film and lights key grips hanging around in the middle of saskatchewan How you wouldn't you, have ladies? expected to see this yeah. um so when does the book come out it's uh huge it's called uh, when does it come out yeah it's called huge and it makes it it's actually publishing october 3rd and we decided to have the launch here in vancouver uh, and then I hit the road, do kind of a book tour. But uh, October 3rd, we're doing the the launch at the Hollywood Theater, the newly renovated Hollywood Theater on Broadway, which is a fantastic venue. And um, tickets are almost sold out, I'm told, but you can check. The Vancouver Writers Festival is putting it on. So you can uh, check with the Vancouver Writers Festival to see if there's any tickets left. But October 3rd, it's in stores, or if you've pre-ordered it, it should be arriving in the mail uh, this coming Tuesday. This is my last weekend as being a guy who doesn't have a novel in the world. <laughs> uh, and you can, uh, I'm going to start smoking a pipe now, <laughs> wearing sweaters everywhere. Watching the Canuck smoking a pipe. Yeah. Yeah. Just commenting on social media. 
now that I've said it, it sounds pretty good. I, I put my feet up with slippers on. Uh, you could pre-order at uh, brentbutt.com and hugethenovel.com. Yes. Yeah. That, that's uh, Or wherever you get your books, really. Awesome. Uh, Brent, It's uh, it's been awesome. Thanks so much for this. My pleasure. Nice talking to you guys. Uh, there is uh, Brent Butt. You can check uh, out the new book. It's coming out October 3rd, brentbutt.com for pre-order or wherever you get your books. You are listening to Canuck Central. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.